Well, this is called Why We Stayed. If you're here, stay. Well, welcome back to the Why We Stayed podcast. Uh, Today is going to be a fun one. I was just uh, telling our next guest that I probably have, oh man, probably viewed uh, his content, it's almost almost an embarrassing amount, uh, thousands of times I think I've watched uh, some of his YouTube clips and just his different spoken words and the way that he is able to articulate things that uh, people like me just simply can't, but I'm happy to consume them uh, nonetheless. So I want to take a moment uh, just to welcome to the podcast, David Bowden. David, how are you tonight? Yeah, I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me and for, for watching all that stuff, man. That's a uh... That's the fastidious of you, <laughs> dude. Yeah, see, so so there you go, folks. Right away, he's already used his words to uh, to already impact us. So receive that. If you're if if you're wondering who this guy is now, please be tuned in because of that alone. But David, why don't you give us a rundown? Maybe for those, I'm sure there's a bunch of people from your camp that are that are tuning in here uh, just as a result of you being on, but. Maybe for those that don't know your story, don't kind of know your upbringing or any of those things, maybe just share with us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in the church. My dad was a was a, a Southern Baptist youth pastor, but by the time I was in eighth grade, um, my parents got a divorce, and that led to, you know, like a lot of kids, to a crisis of faith. And um, hmm. but God really brought me out of that and was really faithful, and uh, through it, uh, the path that he kind of brought me to uh, to him through was through the study of his word. So I ended up just becoming a Bible nerd, like a complete nerd, uh, <laughs> like 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 don't have friends nerd, that kind of that kind of style. And so I, I kept pursuing that into college, and I got my undergrad in Bible and biblical languages. And um, around that time, I discovered spoken word poetry. So I had not been a poet, wasn't really attuned to it. I mean. And this was like, you know, 12, 13 years ago. So there really wasn't yeah, yeah. a kind of Christian spoken word poetry out there. Uh, and by not a ton, I mean, like, there was none. Um, <laughs> and so, um, but I saw a secular group do it in Chicago and just felt like God was saying to me, man, this is the tool I want you to use to speak to my church. And so I started writing right. and found a bar that did open mic nights for poetry. And I was like the only Christian there. But I went every week and uh, cut my teeth doing uh, open mic night at a bar. And uh, that's, a, that's an environment to grow up in for sure. And uh, <laughs> especially when you're trying to be a Christian in that space. Um, yeah. And then uh, and then I was doing a small uh, event for about 40 people on the campus of Oklahoma Christian University, which is my undergraduate alma mater. And um, there in the audience was um, a guy who plans a couple conferences. And uh, he invited me to come speak at this conference I'd never heard of called Winterfest. And um, I was like, sure, I'll do it. And then I found out that it's like two events with a total of 18,000 people. And I was like, oh, oh my God. okay, that's, uh, that's terrifying. And so I wrote my first commission poem um, about the Lord's Supper and went and performed it there. Uh, and that's almost 11 years ago now. And uh, yeah. ever since then, I've gotten to make videos and travel the world doing poetry to, you know, six or seven different countries and almost every state. And um it's been it's been crazy. Got to write a couple books, and uh, now we've started a nonprofit where we're helping people see Jesus in every corner of Scripture, using poetry to tell the story of the Bible. And uh, it's been it's been amazing how faithful God has been despite uh, all my sin and uh, all my uh, all my 
little sure. idols that I like to build. And God's just been really faithful to not only let me do this ministry, but to like change me in the process has been really kind of him. So yeah, that's wow. kind of the brief version of my story. Oh, it's incredible, man. And I, you know, I think maybe for somebody listening now, I think one of the interesting things that you just shared is the fact that you had a gift and there really wasn't much room for that gift in the church at the time, right? I mean, you grew up in the church and you were part of the church, but it's like the gifts that were celebrated or that were there were, hey, can you preach and can you lead worship and can you sing? And, you know, like kind of the, the typical gifts that you think about. And I've got to imagine that there's so many people listening today and so many people that attend church that maybe sometimes sit in the, you know, sit in their seat and they stand up and sit down and they do kind of their religious ceremony and religious duty. But I'm sure there's people that go home and go, man, is my, is my gift really needed? Is, is what I have really, you know, really important or really to be utilized by God? And I think even just hearing like you didn't wait for a position to follow a purpose. Like you didn't wait for something to, you know, some pastor to stand on a stage and say, Hey David, I need what you have. Um, but you, you went and got it. And even if gotting it meant being at a bar and, and, you know, speaking to, you know, 15 people and your mom in the audience or whatever, right? I mean, it's like whatever it took. Well, sh- share with us a little bit. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't easy to do. And I'm sure that there was a consistency where you had to almost be like, man, even if nobody shows up, I know that I'm called to do this. Kind of explain what that processing was like. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's really good that you're mentioning all this. I think, yeah, for me, I never felt that tension of like, people don't do poetry in the church. And like, now it's a thing. I mean, I performed at a church yesterday, you know? And so like, yeah, uh, it's, it's a thing now having poetry at a church. And, but yeah, when I was growing up, it wasn't, but I never like felt like that was something that was owed to me or that should exist. Or like, man, if we did this enough, people in the church would want to value this. That was never a goal because I think the line between secular and sacred wasn't just wasn't as firm to me. So it's almost like a false dichotomy to say, that like I couldn't val like I didn't feel like um, my Christian faith uh, couldn't exhibit this gift because it wasn't allowed in the church. Um, I, I just was like, this is something that God's told me to do, and wherever I go to do it is fine, uh, whether that's at my local church where I faithfully attend or not. And um, mm. and so, but then yeah, the consistency thing that you mentioned is also really interesting. I uh, it, it's one of those things. It, it's, it's a total cliche. You know, they're like, if you love what you'll do, you'll never work a day in your life, you know? Yeah. And uh, and so I think um, I was just passionate about it. I just loved doing it. And so I really had my head down. I had no ambition to build something or be something or get a name or publish a book or even make videos. I mean, YouTube was barely even a thing at that time anyway. Yeah. And so it was very much like I love writing this and I love performing this. And for me, the sheer act of creation has always been the most satisfying part, not necessarily what if people consume it or not, uh, which drives our marketing guy here at the nonprofit and say, you know, he drives him crazy. He's like, no, people <laughs> yeah, need yeah. to consume it. Like, what are you doing? Uh, and I'm like, I just like, I just like making it, you know? And so for me, it was just like, I'll consistently work and make this because I find joy in it and because I feel like I can worship in it. And I feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do. And then God did everything else. He made the connections. He took me to places. And so it's like, that's what I always tell people whenever they're like, you know, how could I do what you do, you know, with whether it's poetry or any other art form? um, How can I make a career out of this is basically what they're asking. 
and I just say, don't. Like, it's just the wrong wow. question. The right question is, do you love doing this? Can, 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 like, can you not not do it? Like, yeah. you know, could you help yourself from doing it if you really tried? And then if they say, yes, I love it, no, I have to do it, whether it's a career or not, then I say, well, then just do it and let God deal with the results. And uh, that'll, that'll, bring so much, that'll bring so much less poison into your art form if you're not doing it for the stage, but if you just let the stage come to your art form. Wow, that is that is so good, so good, man. And I, something that you said earlier too that I that I just want to quickly bring back up, um, something that you had said earlier that I just want to bring back up. You you had mentioned that you had this hunger and this desire for the word, right? And I I just want to I want to rebring that up. And and sorry for those listening, the the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, like you had this desire for it. And what I think is so powerful is. You had a desire for God's words, yet you also had a passion and a gifting to use your own words. And the reason I kind of bring both of those together is because I think there's a lot of people, Christian or not, who feel like, man, is the Bible really true? Like, is all of it really true? I mean, yes, there's a lot of things that I agree with. There's a lot of things that I hear that I really want to kind of digest and consume. But what about the tattoo thing? Or what about this or that? Or, or, you know, what whatever those little things might be or whatever. And what I love about your story that you're sharing is there is this, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying there's a combination, meaning that you're changing the word of God, but there is a, there is a need for God's word and the sovereignty of that, the holiness of that. But there's also a need for your voice and for your words. And um, I just wonder how were you able to continue to combine those things where of course, God's word is your foundation, but then you still feel that there's still a voice, uh, your voice, to be added to it. Yeah, man, that's a really thoughtful question. I super appreciate it. Um, I think the first thing I want to say is uh, I have a tattoo. Uh, so no, <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, no, no. What I what I the first thing I really want to say is uh, I after I finished my my Bible and biblical languages degree, I struggled deeply with doubting the authority, inspiration, uh, reliability of Scripture. And I walked through that, um, and I'm so glad that I've, you know, through studying and through God's help, I, I've gotten to the place where my faith is just all in. I'm, I'm all in on the Bible. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's reliability. It's inspiration. But I understand the, the tension that people have when they come to this book. And some things just resonate and make sense. And it's like, man, that is so true. And then other things are like, why in the world is this in the Bible? <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I, I think the thing that has been helpful for me is just understanding that um, I don't get to project my tr- what, what I think is pragmatically or logically true onto this book, and then and, and then at the same time ask out of the other side of my mouth, is this book true? Uh, you don't get to control. We, we don't get to control truth like that. And so we either have to say truth is external to us and must be revealed. Therefore, we come to the Bible. Or we have to say, I decide what, what is truth, and therefore I get to project that onto the Bible. And so that, wow. kick, that kind of being able to sift through that in my own life and my own prejudices has been helpful. And then when it comes to um, like, co- like co-creating with God, I think is what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, which is what God put Adam and Eve in the garden to do was to co-create. He could have he could have made a perfect garden, and he did, and, and cultivated himself and and kept itself. But instead, he put humans there to do that. And uh, as my, my pastor, Sam Storm, says, uh, God, uh, God made a garden, but he didn't make bouquets. And, uh, he put, isn't it beautiful? Yeah. He's, he, his master, his, uh, I think his PhD minor was in aesthetics. So there you go. I think that's where he probably stumbled on that one. (laughs) Uh, 
and so it's so cool to think that God created us and be co-creators with him. And, uh, and like, so what, what, what they did not do in the garden was make new flowers, right? Uh, mm. they, they arranged the flowers. They tended the garden in such a way as to, um, continue to cultivate its beauty, to bring it together in a way that was aesthetically beautiful, uh, and, and to which it was even more inhabitable, all these different things. And I think wow. that's what we do with the word of God and the garden of God's word. What I, what I feel like I get to do is gather up the bouquets and the flowers and make a bouquet and say, isn't this beautiful? Like, and wow. you wouldn't have seen it, you wouldn't have seen it like that if you looked at each flower individually. Uh, you might even be like, what's that flower doing in this part of the garden? That doesn't make sense. But when you see it in its proper context and how it's supposed to be drawn together with everything else in the Word of God, then it's like, oh, it's a beautiful bouquet. And so I feel like that's what I get to do as a poet, uh, working alongside the Word of God, is bringing out its beauty in a way that's accessible, not necessarily trying to create something new alongside of it. Wow. Wow. Dude, that is... Holy smokes. If someone turned off the podcast early, I just want to apologize, even though they're not going to hear my apology that they that they turned it off. But wow, no, that is that is so beautifully said. And I think that is to, to co-create with God um, is what a beautiful thought. Right. I mean, I think there's there's so many times even in my own life where I've tried to build something for God and it always fails in comparison to building something with him. And, and I think so often we almost want to build something up and say, God, look what I did for you. God, look, look what I've done with my hands. And God wants to say, well, no, like, let's, let's do this together. And, and I'm the one that made your hands. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a, yeah, it's the, it's the tower of Babel versus Pentecost, right? We build oh, up man. to God and God destroys it or God comes down to us and we build it. Like it's, mm. that's literally the, the tension we constantly live so in. So good, man. So, so good. And again, the whole time you're talking, I, I, I just continue to think about the young listener who, um, you know, maybe feels like, do I really have a gift? Or, you know, they, they hear you talk about poetry and they go, well, yeah, duh. Like that makes sense for him because clearly that's a gift and he can use it and, 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 and all that stuff. But for a young person that's listening today that maybe has struggled to utilize their skill set in a church, or uh, maybe forget church for a second, but they've just struggled to even find their own gifting, and they're they're feeling like, well, I see all these other people succeeding. I see all these other people getting all their followers and all their YouTube videos and all these things, but what about me? And how how does God want to use me? I mean, what what advice might you have for a young person who's kind of struggling within their calling or their gifting? Definitely. Um, man, this is such a good question, and it's one that is asked all the time. And so if, if, if you are a young listener thinking through some of those things, or an old listener thinking through these things, because, sure. you know, midlife, midlife crises exist, and so we often yep. do this again in life and constantly. My wife likes to say I have an existential crisis every year, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll leave for what that's worth. Uh, take my, you're you're a poet. It's, it's good, yeah. it's good <laughs> content. Yeah. It's right. Yeah, it's fuel. It's fuel. <laughs> and, uh, no, but, uh, I, I would say that my, my advice to that person is that, um, if I can say it kindly, uh, you're asking the wrong questions. Um, mm. often people want to say like, well, you know, man, just, if I could be like that, like that, or if I could be on this platform, or if I could do it that way, um, or if I could have that gift, um, and I would say that how, how are you going to find a gift that God has given you by looking under everybody else's tree? You know, like mm, that's the, yeah. that's not where you go on Christmas morning. If you go to somebody else's house on Christmas morning and you, you're like, man, look at all those presents. Oh, none of them have my name on them. 
well, duh, you're at the mm. wrong house. Like, <laughs> and, and so yeah. we have to start, we have to stop, you know, being peeping toms into everyone else's life. And the internet's made that really hard to turn off. It's opened up right. every single window into every single living room. And now we get to see everybody's Christmas presents. And, uh, and we're like, man, that, 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 that's not me. That's not me. That's not mine. That's not mine. And God's like, why don't you just like chill and like step away, <laughs> have some solitude. And like, yeah. let me just work on you. And then, and so that's the first wrong question. The second wrong question is how do I discover my gift? Okay. So I've stepped away from the other windows. Now let me just look at myself. And the wrong yeah. question, the wrong question is what's my gift? How does God want to use me? That's the wrong question. God does not need you, but God does want to use you, but you've got to get these things in the right order. And so what God wants to do with you first is bring you contentment in him. He wants to make mm. you, he wants to give you shalom. He wants to give you peace. And, and so, um, if you, we can't get this backwards. It's, uh, the, the New Testament says that when Jesus, after Jesus died and rose again, he then ascended into heaven. And when he did that, he left gifts in his train. And now the Holy mm. Spirit comes and gives gifts to whoever he wills. The New Testament says in another passage. And so what we have to remember is the very first thing that should take precedence is, Am I satisfied in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Do I know what that means for me? Is that and he my preeminent gift above all else? Am I satisfied in that? So that, mm. like, and, and if I can just have that, I have everything. If I can sell everything to buy that treasure in the field, if I can sell everything to buy that pearl of great price, then I'll be satisfied. And it's in right. that moment that then Jesus comes and he's like, great, now I have tons of other gifts for you. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. now you're uh, someone I, I, like, that I can use because you're not after me for my gifts, you're after me for me. And so um, now, now the cool thing about this is God meets us in the middle of a mess, and he doesn't yeah. just give us gifts whenever we've perfectly found ourselves satisfied in him. Right? Like, yeah. I, that was not me. Mine was so intermingled with envy and rivalry and jealousy and self-aggrandizement and all this other stuff. And God yeah. used me despite that, just like he did Israel constantly. And and so, um, but but I would say, like, find your contentment in Jesus first, and you'll skip a lot of pain and searching. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, after 10 or 15 years of, of doing that, that would be my advice. Oh, it's so good, man. And I, you know, I've, I've got to believe, too, that there's someone listening or, you know, multiple people listening today that maybe felt like they used to find their contentment in him. That maybe when they were growing up and they went to summer camp once or they had kind of this, you know, beautiful conference setting where they had like this really beautiful experience or this encounter with God and, and then all of a sudden life happened and then they found themselves uh, with an illness or they found themselves with um, not getting the dream job that they thought that they would get or, you know, just in their early 20s, maybe they're still single and they're just, this was not how it was supposed to go. And now, you know, maybe this once thriving relationship and this trust that they had with God where they did feel like they were receiving gifts, they did feel like they were living, you know, kind of that righteous life. And now all of a sudden they feel like they're maybe in this place where they're a little bit distant or they find that, um, you know, they've tasted and seen, but they're not seeing anymore. Uh, what what advice might you have for someone that's kind of in that uh, gray, fuzzy area of their faith? Man, yeah, it's such a good question. And it's something that every Christian struggles with. So, uh, I mean, my, my short answer is I literally wrote a book on that called When God Isn't There. And so mm. you can get that on Amazon or some bookstores. When God Isn't There is all about God, God's absence, when it feels like he's not there anymore. 
And so mm-hmm. I spent five years of my life studying that uh, God's actions to the Bible and wrote about that. So if that is you and you need a longer answer than the one I'm about to give, uh, I'd, I'd point you there. I think it's only nine bucks on Amazon right now. Um, but I mean, it's such a big question. So I hate giving trite answers. Um, <laughs> but, but really, I, I mean, the shortest answer I can give is the same God who, who, who caused David to like be crowned as king when he was the smallest and last born son is the same God who um, David went to and lamented and cried out for justice because his son Absalom had usurped his kingdom. Like it's like mm. the same God is there for both um, the summer camp highs and you have a healthy body because you're 16 and uh, you know, and then he's also there whenever um, you and your wife miscarry and you don't have mm. the right job and you're miserable and your 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 closest friend dies, and everything is horrible. Like sure. the same God is there, and the same God is good, and He's not beholden to your circumstances. His goodness is not beholden to your circumstances. And um, I think a lot of people would want a God who um, always made everything perfect for them. Um, yeah. But the thing is, there is a God who actually exists, who is actually doing everything for what is actually good, despite what it looks like to us. And the amazing thing about the Christian faith is we get to look beyond what we can see and trust that there is meaning and hope beyond the bleakest circumstances, whether that's on a global scale of famine and human trafficking or a personal scale of death and suffering and illness and discontentment and disillusionment. Like there's a God who who like supersedes all of that um, yeah. that's his transcendence, but then he's also deeply imminent and like he has undergone a lot of these temptations and, you know, Hebrew says he's tempted in every way. And so like God identifies with you and, uh, he brings good out of the worst possible evil. And, um, you know, I just, I think of Romans eight that, um, yeah, this present suffering that we're about to go through that we're going through right now is not even worth comparing to the glory mm-hmm. that we're going to inherit whenever Jesus returns. And so it's like, yeah hold on, like have faith. Like, like the, the most important thing right now is not that you are completely convinced that everything that you've ever thought or believed or experienced growing up is true. The most important thing you can do right now is contend for your faith. Just, just hold on to like what shred of faith you can, that Jesus Beautiful. died for your sins, that he rose again and that he's coming. Beautiful. Yeah, man, the, the, the amount of young people, I'm sure you've heard the saying, the, the amount of young people that grow into young adults and then adults uh, that that it's almost this unraveling where because they get older and they're getting what they think is wiser and again I'm I'm speaking of my own experience too uh, you're 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 almost un you're you're disqualifying some of the very real encounters and moves of God that you have already experienced and and so you're you're growing up in the world and kind of getting more and more experience of the world, but you're losing, uh, again, as, as Christ would say, you know, the, the faith of a child, right? You're losing kind of that, just that awe, that wonder, that amazement, um, you know, looking for facts and, you know, looking for everything to make perfect sense, you know, uh, almost projecting, as you said earlier, projecting your truth onto the scriptures and seeing it not line up or whatever those errors are. And, you know, as we were talking, I think one of the things that's been so fascinating is you had made a comment where you said that there was kind of this window where you, it wasn't that you didn't trust the word per se, but you kind of hit this window of like, man, is this real? Like, 
did God really inspire these words? Did God really breathe, you know, these words onto onto paper? Because again, let's just be honest as human beings, like I've never seen God breathe onto any other papers that are in, you know, in in my life. Like I haven't, you know, I wish he would have breathed on my math papers or my Spanish papers growing up, but um, but yeah, I mean, I've never, you know, I've never seen that happen. And so again, to try to convince a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old uh, hey, God breathed on this book. You should, you know, you should read this. It's like, how, you know, how can you be, I, I guess this is the question I'm landing at, how can you be so certain that the Bible that you're reading really is the Word of God? How how can you be so certain? Yeah, man, th- those are a lot of good questions. I mean, as you were talking at the beginning about, um, like, the you have this kind of naive faith growing up where this faith of a child and then as you grow, it becomes disillusioned. And I just can't help but think about the tension between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament that, you know, both are like Solomon books. And Proverbs seems to be from the beginning of his life when everything was ordered and God all, you know, there was to every action, there was an equal and opposite reaction. But then by Ecclesiastes, he's questioning the goodness of God and he feels like everything is falling apart. Um, and yet even he at the end of his life is, is able to hold on to that thing that we were talking about earlier. It's like he, the same God who's the God of Proverbs is the God of Ecclesiastes. And so I, and, and that's also called wisdom is like the, yeah. the disillusioned old man also has wisdom. And so I think we have to sometimes roll with the punches and redefine, um, the like starry eyed teenage faith isn't the only kind of faith. There's old that's hardened. Right. I've seen, I've seen it all faith. And I still hold on. Like to me, that that is that is so much harder. And I respect people who have seen the worst and still believe, even if it's with calloused hands. Um, Mm. But then, to to your question, man, that's the question, isn't it? How do we know, know, know that we know that the Bible is the Word of God? And uh, I've got a really unsatisfying answer for you, my friend. Um, (laughs) It's uh, it's faith. It's it's that 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 reading the Bible is a leap of faith. To read it like God would have you read it is a leap of faith. Now, yes, there are things that the Reformers talked about, like the internal witness, that when you read it, doesn't it feel like something is happening? Can't you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, something otherworldly coming and, yeah. and cutting your heart and convicting you? Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, uh, isn't it amazing that there that this book was written by a panoply of authors over multiple centuries in different regions, and yet it pieces together um, better than any work written by one author. Yeah. Um, I mean, is, isn't it amazing that uh, that this one book has been um, copied um, more like exponentially more than any other book from antiquity? Doesn't that doesn't that say something to us about God's hand? in wanting to preserve and prove the reliability of these words. I mean, on and on and on, people have created yeah. reasons why you, you should and can believe that the Scripture is trustworthy, right? Mm. Uh, but at the end of the day, none of that is going to matter if you don't just say, I believe. It's the same thing for the resurrection <laughs> of Jesus, right? There are historical arguments for the resurrection of Jesus, but at the end of the day, it's a faith claim. And so you, you just, you, you've got to have faith. And if you're struggling with that, I would I would tell you to take a two pronged approach. Go and study the apologetics, read the material. There are really good arguments that can help you get over some of the logical hurdles that you might be struggling with. I've been there, uh, but then the other one is I would just tell you to pray and say, Holy Spirit, show me that this is your word. Like prove right. it to me, right? And like that's the point I had to get to 
And once I finally prayed that prayer, and it was because I was commissioned to write a poem that you can go and watch on YouTube, I Believe in the Scriptures. I was commissioned to write that in the midst of the struggle. I was like, all right, prove it, God. Like, you're going to have to yeah. sow it into me that this is true. And he did. He changed my heart. And so um, I, I would tell people to do the same. Oh, that's so good, man. Yeah, work, working it out while still leveraging your gift, right? It was so funny. It's like you're you're processing and going through an actual you know, impactful video that's going to reach thousands of people and you're still, you know, you were working it out as you're, as you're putting that thing together. I think that's, that is, that's so beautiful to consider that. And I know we're running out of time here, but I, I do want you to share, just give us a quick rundown of what is spoken gospel? Where did this idea come from? How can we get involved, be a part of it? Just give us kind of a, a quick rundown of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Spoken Gospel uh, came out uh, as a nonprofit ministry here in Oklahoma City. We're a small team of three people. And it came out of this conviction I felt over the last four years of biblical study that I've been involved in, um, that, as a lot of people have in the recent decade or so, that um, every single thing in the Bible is about Jesus. Uh, and this is not a new idea. It's just beginning to, it's getting new light shed on it. And um, that that when Jesus came to earth, and especially right as he was about to leave, um, he constantly claimed that the whole Old Testament was about him. And not just, and people automatically think like, oh, the predictions and the prophecies. And it's like, right. yeah, but uh, when, like those are like, when we, when we get to the epistles, those aren't what's pulled on out of the Old Testament. It's, uh, it's like Jesus is like this random character in Genesis, Melchizedek. And it's like, wait, yeah. what? Like, he's, like, he's the new and better Melchizedek. I was like, I forgot he was even in those, like, ten verses in Genesis, you know? And <laughs> yeah. so we believe that – we do. I do believe that all Scripture was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit through active human authors. And because of that, that dual authorship of Scripture, but that consistency of one author, who was the Word from eternity past, who became flesh, that he has built this literary masterpiece – to show us himself in a billion different ways. And so I like yeah. to talk about the Bible like a prism, and you, you, you shoot a light through it, and every way you rotate it, you see a different color and a different refraction of light. And, um, and so as we look at the Bible and every line and every word through the Old Testament especially, we get to see Jesus in a multi-prismatic way. Um, and so what we're doing is we want people to see that because I think the reason we don't love our Bibles, I think the reason why we don't read them is because we, we, we don't know what's in them. And what's in them is the beauty of Jesus, the most beautiful thing in the world. And in, in fact, Paul in Second Corinthians 3 says that there was this time when Moses was on Mount Sinai and he asked to see God's glory. And this is in Exodus 33 and 34. And God passed by and showed Moses his glory. And it was so amazing. It, it lit Moses' face up. It was crazy. And Paul says that that's actually what we see anytime we open up the Bible. And, and we can mm -hmm. actually open it up and we can see the light of Jesus' face. And we can be changed just like Moses was. And so I'm like, man, if we could get people to see Jesus in the Bible, uh, I think Bible engagement would be completely different than it is, and I think people would actually walk away transformed. And so awesome. what we're doing to do that, here's what we're doing. We are um, making a video for every single book of the Bible. And uh, I'm writing a poem for every book, and I'm doing two things in, in each poem. I'm trying to show the book's main theme so you can get a grip on it. Like, what's this book about? Yeah. You know, so we just, we just launched numbers, um, at least as of our recording today. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and so you can go watch numbers and, and figure out what is it, was it, a, what, what is it about? 
But then more importantly or equally importantly, how is numbers all about Jesus? How does it show us Jesus and his gospel in a, in a way different from every other book of the Bible? And, uh, and so we're going through, we're about to wrap up the Torah, and then we'll do the Gospels and Acts, and then we'll do the wisdom books, and uh, we'll just keep chipping away at it. Um, and so that's what we're doing. So what, what, there's two ways that you can get involved. One is use the stuff. It's all free. Like, we're, we, we were just committed just to make it free. I mean, it costs us hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to make this stuff. But um, we just stepped out in faith, and we're just like, people, God will bring the people to support us, and we're going to make it. And so we're making it. We're giving it away for free. So use it, please. Uh, light a fire under yourself to go read the Bible. So uh, all all this stuff is available at SpokenGospel.com. You could subscribe to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash SpokenGospel. So that's one way. And the most important way is get involved. Like, love your Bible. That's what we want. Uh, the second way is you can uh, support us financially. And so you can go to SpokenGospel.com and uh, sign up to be a monthly donor. And you can, you can get 5 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, however much you can. And uh, that goes a long way to support the production of uh, all these videos. So that's what we're doing. So great. So great, man. And again, I think maybe for those that are listening that maybe haven't picked up their Bible in a long time or maybe ever, I just want to encourage you. It's as as approachable and honest as David has been tonight. I think that uh, it, it really can be that simple. And I think they've set it up in a way where... This is not like if you go to SpokenGospel.com, this does not mean you are admitting, oh, I need help reading the Bible. No, no, no. This is a way uh, to to dig deeper into it, to see things revealed in a way. And again, I cannot stop thinking about the bouquet and just thinking about how, um, man, maybe you've seen a flower you know, at a church or maybe you've had an experience, but... I think you know, being a you know, from someone that's experienced his poetry, for someone that's experienced this years ago and even now, um, man, check it out. You know, check it out. Follow, follow along. Obviously, David is uh, is has done great work, but I believe that his best days and his best work is in front of him. So, David, thanks so much, man, for jumping on and everyone for listening. Thanks, thanks for tuning in, and I encourage you guys to get involved in some way. And uh, we will chat with you all next time.